Listen, we are uh, in a series and we've been in Genesis for a while now, but I want us to, to just, I want to ask you a question. What is your favorite love story? Favorite movie love story out there? Maybe you're a classic person. You like Casablanca or something like that. Or maybe, maybe you like the latest one with uh, Lady Gaga and what, what's that, the guy's name? Uh, Stars Born. What? Yeah. Well, yeah. Bradley Cooper. Maybe that's your, maybe that's your jam and that's your, that's your favorite. But I don't think you can beat a movie love story like Notebook. All right. Any, any notebook lovers in the room? All right. Good. You know, you can't, and some of you guys are like going, Oh my gosh, what have I come to today? No, listen, the, the love story about the notebook, I love it. I cry. I cry during it. I'm a crier in a movie and I, I make no bones about that. I, I, I love that one because you see this embryonic love and you see this lasting, persevering love and you see this serving kind of love and you, you see this kind of love that kind of, man, that's the kind of love I want in my marriage. That's the kind of love I want in my life. I hope that I will love my spouse until the very end. That's a persevering kind of love. And I have to say that the, a lot of the love that we see in our world today and in, in movies or in life or in hashtags is not exactly a, a biblical model of love is a persevering love is a serving kind of love. There's a lot of self-serving kind of loves out there. Um, in fact, you can go to a website out there that, that if you want to know what, what love is reduced down to its hashtags nowadays. Okay. Well, these are a few of the most popular hashtag loves out, out there. One is love is love. Okay, that's the, that's the, the, the love that you are able to love whatever gender, whatever person, and all love is love and all love is equal. The reality is not all love is equal. And not all love is love. There's different variations of love. There's different expressions of love. There's different kinds of love. And so I don't know that that's the greatest example of what love is. Then there is the, here, these are the most popular, okay? The next one is love dogs versus love cats. Okay, now, in case you're wondering, how many of y'all think that there are, uh, if you think love dogs wins in this hashtag competition, raise your hand. All right, if you think cats win, raise your hand. About three of you. It's about the, the ratio. So here's what it, here's what it uh, stacks up against. So if love dogs, the number of hashtags that have been used out there for love dogs versus love cats, love dogs has got 22 million times it's been used, 17 million, sorry cats, that has, has cats been used. Now, here's another one. Love him versus love her. Which do you think wins in this one? I want I want to ask you to survey this one because guys get skunked in this one. Okay, fifty million to forty-one million times love hers slaughters loves him. All right, so there's a lot more love for there's a lot more love expressed for the hers out there than the hims out there. But here, listen to this: the number one. I did not go into this with a presupposition. I went into this just trying to do some research on hashtags and love. The number one love hashtag is love yourself. And that's the number one love. Just love yourself. And again, now there is a vast difference between selfish love and 
self-love, okay? They sound really close and they may sound like they're the same thing, but they're not the same thing, okay? They are vastly different. So I definitely believe in self-love, but not selfish love. And sometimes though, whenever it comes to relationships, we kind of get them a little mixed up. Sometimes what we call self-love is really just selfish love. Me putting my agenda out there and saying, you're not loving me the way I want to be loved. And again, there's some, there's some dynamics in there that I don't have time to go into today. Okay. 85 million times this hashtag has been used. But here's the biblical response to it. If we're going to say something and, and get something with some meat on it, something that lasting and value is love is not self-seeking. First Corinthians 13 says, so it's not about me going into any kind of love relationship where that love relationship is a, uh, in a marriage or that love relationship is with children or that love relationship is with parents or that love relationship is just with a friendship or it's in my church or any other ways or places that I might have love. It's not going into it. What's in it for me? It's not self-seeking kind of love. We all love to be loved. Here's what I know. We all love to be loved. But I'm afraid that we love to be loved more than we love to love. If you can follow that, we love to be loved, but we love to be loved more than we love to love. And when I say that, it's because when you understand the full depth and breadth of love, then you understand that you are going to have to give of yourself in the love relationship. Now we like it to be love. We love to receive the love. We want it. And the thing is, is that we can choose not to love, but we cannot choose to not serve if we love. Let me explain it to you in one simple statement. You heard it a lot last week, a part of it anyway. Serving matters. Why does serving matter? Because love serves. So really what I'm saying here is that if we love something, somebody, some relationship out there, fill in the blank or whatever relationship that is, then there will be service involved in that. And it's not self-serving in that relationship. It's others serving in that relationship. So if you have your Bibles, be turning to the book of Genesis, where we'll continue our study today in Genesis chapter 29. But we've been talking about this. You heard it last week. And I'm just, I'm just broadening the understanding of it. Why does serving matter? Because love serves. If you really love this out there, you will serve it out there and in, in all of its dimensions. Now, we have been looking at, uh, for the past, in fact, for the past month of June, July, we've been looking at a very highly dysfunctional family. But yet, this is the family that God is going to choose to bless all the nations of the world. It just, uh, it just blows my mind how he could do this. Because this is a family that suffers from, listen to this, selfish love. Not self-love. Selfish love. They, they struggle with, with, uh, with uh, deviant intentions. They, they struggle with, with, uh, with, uh, with ideas and ideals of, of what love is and, and who should be first and who should be second. There's deception, there's lying, there's, there's, uh, there's anger to the point of wanting to murder. There is so many things that are dysfunctional about Isaac and Jacob's family that, that we, again, we've unpacked it. So I'm not going to go back and re-unpack that. So you go back and listen to from July 4th forwards messages because I don't have a series title for this, for Isaac and Jacob. But if I did, it would be called The Misfits. And, and how God uses misfits. 
Because I look at Isaac and Jacob, and I would have, if I was God, and I'm not, I uh, know, uh, that's a shocker to you, but, uh, you know, if I was, if I was, I would have cashed it in and said, oh man, I messed up here. I should have never chosen this family. Because there's a bunch of misfits. Again, it's all about self. It's about selfishness. And what, what God shows us, though, in this is that God can take a broken, dysfunctional family and do beautiful things whenever we come back and God turns it around. God turns it around. I want God to turn it around in our lives, in my life. And, and I want to introduce to you this, 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 this principle of God establishing a covenant with us. Because God's covenant is God's love story written and secured for us. Okay? Understand that. That God's covenant, it's an agreement, it's an arrangement, and we're going to break this apart in a minute. But, but it's his love story. He's writing the story to us, for us, and it is secured, not in ourselves, but it's secured in his name, in who, who he is. Now, that's big. Hang on to that for the months ahead. We're going to be dealing with covenants in the months ahead. But this is what I want to call the ABC covenant. The ABC covenant. I, I say that this is my branding because I, it helps me remember it. But it's the Abraham blessing covenant. And it's a unilateral covenant that is unconditional covenant for all humanity. That's a word, a lot of words there. Unilateral, it's not bilateral. So it's not you agreeing to your part, me agreeing to my part. That's a bilateral agreement. This is a unilateral. This is God establishing the covenant. That's going to be big. And again, it's going to be big throughout the rest of the Bible. And so just hang on to that concept of unilateral covenant. It is God making a covenant that is unconditional with humanity. It starts with a family, but it's going to be for all of humanity. That's the ABC covenant. It's the Abrahamic blessing covenant. And so, but what you're going to see in this is that serving matters. Why? Because love serves. You're going to see God loving humanity. And in that loving of humanity, what's he going to do? He's going to establish a covenant. A covenant with us, which is ginormous. I can't, I can't go into it enough. In your, in your Bibles, you find Genesis chapter 29. We'll be there in just a moment. But I want you to, to, to just remember back. The words will appear on the screen. If you want to go back there, you can read it for yourself. But in Genesis chapter 12, verses 3. This is when he's establishing that ABC covenant, the Abrahamic blessing covenant. This is what he says. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is huge. And again, I go go back and listen to that message years, uh, months back. It seems like years ago. Months back when we talked about this this covenant. It's big. You see in here the, the Abrahamic blessing covenant. You can see it really quickly. Because you see, Abraham is there. He says, I'm going to do this with you, but I, the covenant, God is saying, he is putting his name on it. I will. Now, when God says he's going to do something, you better believe he's going to do it. All right? Take it to the bank. Believe it with your life. Trust your soul to it. Trust all eternity to it. I will. God says that. I will what? I will bless now, we're going to talk in weeks ahead about what blessing means. In short, quick, quick notes, it means the fullness of God. What God wants to do in all of the fullness. And who's he going to do it with? He's going to do it with Abraham. 
And then he goes on and says, but it's not just for you, Abraham. It's for all the earth. Now, what I show you this is unilateral covenant that God is making with humanity, unconditional, is because Abraham gives birth to whom? Isaac. No, he doesn't give, excuse me. He does not give birth. Sarah gives birth to Isaac. This is not, uh, okay. So Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Abraham's the father. And what happens next? Isaac is given the same covenant. It's passed down. Go to the next slide. It says in chapter 26, and I will establish an oath and I swore to Abraham, your father, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give you offspring of all these lands and your offspring of all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He takes the same covenant that he established with Abraham. He gives it to Isaac. Guess what? He's going to turn around and he's going to give it to Jacob. It's going to be passed down from generation to generation. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you will be spread abroad in the west and the east and the north and the south. And your offspring shall be to all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is big. Because if you go out from generation to generation to generation to generation to your grandmammy and grandpappy and and your great-great, all the way down to you and I, this blessing comes to us. This is how you fit into the picture. I told you in the beginning of this Genesis study, we're just looking at one great big story here. This is not our story. It's not my life. I'm just a part of God's story and the story that he's trying to write. But he's been writing it for generations. This ABC covenant is huge. It is really what the Old Testament is, okay? When you Testament, that's a covenant. The Old Testament is this Abrahamic covenant. So I want you just to understand this. It is very big and what we're, what we're establishing here. And so now let's go to chapter 29. Because in chapter 28 is whenever Jacob has this dream and this Jacob's ladder comes down and maybe you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you didn't, but you grew, you, if you grew up in my Sunday school class, you used to sing a little song that says, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, Jacob's ladder, Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Soldiers of the cross. How many of y'all sang that song or heard that song at some point? All right. You're singing an African-American spiritual song that was written referring back to Genesis chapter 28. That Jacob's ladder, that Jacob's ladder is this story of this ladder of generational ladders that goes on from generation to generation of this blessing being passed down to you and to me and to all generations and to all peoples of the earth. And so chapter 29 to chapter 32 is really a love story. You want to see a love story in really old times? Here's a love story. Chapter 29 to chapter 31, excuse me. Isaac tells Jacob, it says in verse 28, in chapter 28, says, Isaac tells Jacob, he sent him away to Padinam Aram to take a wife from there. Why from there? Because he didn't want her him to marry a Canaanite woman. Save that message for another day. And he blessed him and he directed him. And you must not take a wife for your uh, Canaanite woman. And Jacob had obeyed his father. That's always a good thing. Listen, your parents, teenagers in the room, your parents have had good relationships and bad relationships. And if they give you some advice, you might want to lean in on that. Because it may be coming from a bad relationship experience. And they're trying to avoid, help you avoid the heartache down the road. All right? So then we go to chapter 29. And while he was speaking to them, Rachel, 
was her father was with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. So what happens is he travels to this place and he stops by a water well. Jacob's well that you're going to see later on in the New Testament, chapter 4 of, of John's gospel. This is when it gets its first beginnings of its name. Jacob stops at this well in this beautiful bombshell named Rachel. She's a shepherdess. So that means she's a hardworking woman on top of that. Walks up and he makes eye contact with her. This is verse 9. Now you talk about a fast moving man. Now watch this, ladies. Be careful of these kind of guys. This is verse 9. Two verses later, he's already putting the smack on her. Uh, verse 11. And Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Now that means he was smitten with love, okay? That he is that much in love with her. He's going to make the moves on her. Basically what he's going to do is he's going to go back and talk to mom and dad. Or Laban in particular. He says, I want to marry your daughter. And this is the love story from chapter 29, chapter 31. You read it for yourself throughout this week. And you'll see this. The, I'm just going to hit some high levels. But what we learn from this love story is what love is. And again, we struggle with what love is in our culture today. Hashtags and hot takes and movie clips and things like that define what love is. But is it not more? Here's what I want us to see. And this template of love is a simple template that I think you can take and lie over any relationship in your life. Any relationship where love is, this template will lie over that, okay? So let that understand. It's a template. So now how does my love fit into that template? How does my love fit into my church? Serving matters because love serves. How does my love fit into my church? So anything that you love, anything that you're part of loving, you'll see this. Number, uh, let's look at these three dimensions real quickly today. Number one, here it is. It's one sentence. That's all I'm going to give you today. Love serves. This is the first part of the sentence. Love serves. Now, you know this because if you love it, you serve it. I, I like, and I asked Lori's permission. She's sick today. I asked her, to, hey, can I tell this story? She said, yes. So I'm telling this by permission. So when we were high school sweethearts, we went off to college and, and we decided, she decided, uh, that uh, she wanted to break it up. Okay. Heartbroken freshman in college. And, uh, she goes out on her first date after me. And lo and behold, it's to a concert and I'm at the same concert and she walks in with this dude and sets three rows in front of me. That, I, I don't even remember that concert. I don't remember anything about it other than tears were coming down, all right? Uh, and so, but she tells me about the date because she goes back to her, uh, her dorm room after that and calls me kind of upset because this guy that she goes out with starts talking from the time he picks her up in his polished car all about his car. He loved his car, and he gave love to his car. He took care. Now, listen, you like your car, you keep your car clean, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. But when you name your car and you tell your date on the first date that your car's name is Babe, then you're in a competition at that point. And so she just kind of called and that, that was the one and done kind of date thing. And I kind of think I had a clunker and I named mine clunker. And so, you know, she came back to clunker after, after that. And so I want I, I tell you that to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a thing. It can be a person. It can be a place. It can be your job. If you love it, you serve it. 
You'll spend hours on it. And every Saturday, this dude would go out. He lived in the same dorm that I lived in. He'd go out and take care of his, his babe. He'd make sure it's clean for the week, even though it was set, set in the parking lot all week long. But you serve what you love. In chapter 25, verse 15, excuse me, chapter 29, uh, verse uh, 15, It says, it says this, it says, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are a kinsman, should you not therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages would be. So he's basically negotiating a, a relationship, a, a, a contract because he's thinking he's hiring him to work on the farm. He says, well, tell me what your wages would be. Now Laban said, uh, said two daughters and the name of the older is Leah and the name of the younger is Ra- was Rachel. Notice this, this will come into play later on. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So I'll let your mind go where it will on that one. And Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you for seven years. I will serve you. Basically, it was a love contract. If I, listen, I will say, if I can have Rachel, just let me have Rachel. Because I love Rachel. I'm smitten with Rachel. I want to be with Rachel. I will give you the seven years of my life to serve you. So that I can have your daughter. Listen, listen again, template. It's only a template. But I want us to see that whenever you love something, whether it's a car or it's a person or it's your church or it's your money or it's your title or it's your fame, it's your ego, you will serve it. Bob Goff in his simple read book, everyone should pick it up, read it. Love does. He says it like this. He says, but the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is costly. One, because it involves sacrifice and presence. There's a cost involved. When you love something, you will serve something. The Bible speaks of the church as a one another relationship community where we are not an institution, a building and all that kind of stuff. That, this is just a toolbox that we're setting in right now. We, the people, are the church we, how do we do church? How do we, we connect with one another in relationship with one another? There are over 59 different times in scripture that the one another's in the New Testament are used. If you want to know what a New Testament church looks like, it doesn't look like a building. It doesn't mean home and meet in a building and meet in a, in a pasture. I don't care where it meets, but it's going to do the one another's. And do you want to know what the number one, one another out of all the one another's are? 16 of the 59 is love one another. Is to love one another. That's why I say serving matters because love serves. It means I'm willing to get in and I'm willing to get dirty and I'm willing to get messy and I'm willing to whatever, what, what, what needs to happen. You know, one of the reasons Paul loved the church of Thessalonica, even though he's a part of that church and helping to found that church is when he remembered that church, when he wrote back to that church, you know what he remembered about that church? It wasn't that they just had this beautiful building. It wasn't that they had a great band. It wasn't that they had a great teacher on the stage. It wasn't any of those things that we might attract us to a church today. It wasn't that they had great kids programs. What attracted him to that church, what he remembered about that church, was that they had a labor about them that prompted by love. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says, I remember before God the Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. Just let that sink in. If your love isn't producing service, I don't know what you love. You might have a feeling. 
But you don't have love because love serves. The second part of this sentence is love serves sacrificially. Okay? You step up to the plate and you say, hey, I don't care what the cost is. I love you. I'll give you my life. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my talents. I'll put myself out there. And again, we just read verse 18 and where he said, I'll serve you for seven years. What would you do for seven years? What would you do for seven years? What would you do for, for 14 years? Because if you know the story, and again, I'll spoiler alert it for you if you're going to read it this next week, is that as the story is told, he works for seven years faithfully, does his part of the deal. Jacob the deceiver, remember that, we've talked about that, is deceived by now his father-in-law. He has been, de- he's been taught how to deceive by his mother, Rebecca. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Now he's going to be deceived by his father-in-law because what happens on wedding day, I mean, can you imagine he's waiting for his bride? He's been diligently serving because he loves his bride for seven years. And now he's waiting for his bride and walks down the aisle and she's veiled up, I guess. And all of a sudden, it, changing of vows or whatever they did in, in that day and age. And, and, and the marriage is, is complete. And then the veil is lifted and it's not Rachel. It is Leah. And Leah wasn't who he was marrying. But then, oh, yeah, there was one little fine print in the contract of that culture in that day is that you don't marry off your secondborn until your firstborn's married. And so basically, he does a bait and switch and doesn't tell him. He takes Leah to the altar, marries Leah, and now he's got Leah as his wife, not Rachel as his wife. But what does he turn around and do? Does he walk away giving back his bride? Uh, you know, remember verse 17, he says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in appearance. He continued to serve. It says in verse 27, and he will give you the other in return for serving another seven years. What did Jacob do? Throw up his arms in protest, walk away, go back home empty handed, take Leah as his bride? No, Jacob did so. Now he's serving 14 years. He serves for 14 years of faithfulness to Laban, his father-in-law. And I just want to point this out that there was an attitude, even though I know I can get into all the trickery and all the deception again, that's just this broken family that we're dealing with here. I'm not going there this week. I went there a few weeks ago. But I want you to see, if anything, I want you to see the heart of Jacob in the good light because he is faithful and he is willing to serve, but not just serve, to serve sacrificially. And he serves, it goes on to say in verse, in chapter 31, it says that he will serve for 14 years, 20 years total. So he didn't even run away whenever he got his second bride, Rachel. He actually stays on and stays, continues to work with Laban years later. Ends up spending 20 years there. There's a 20 year love story before he goes back to the promised land. And we'll save that for a few weeks from now. But here's what I want you to see in this. Again, it's a template of love. You can take out Jacob, you can take out Rachel, you can take out Leah, Leah, you can take out all these different characters and put in your characters and put in your circumstances and put in your, but if you love something, you will serve it. If you love something, you will serve it sacrificially. That means I do things because I love this person so much, I'm willing to. Let me tell you, we have had, and this has been a fun week for me, to be able to go back 
and to think about the people of our church. We're a 20-year-old church. We started in a living room. But for 20 years, we have had certain people, different people that have served incredibly faithful. We told you a few months ago about Vicki Thomas. For 20 years, she has served. 20 years. I ask all of our pastors to give me a list of names of the people that have served in your ministry for 10 years or longer. Okay? For 10 years or longer. And this is the sheet that that, that I have. This is what was given to me. Mike Manning has served at Lights and has been in our technical for 19 of those 20 years. My, my mother, Sarah Lou Manning, has served in the elementary area teaching kids, faint, painting faces, being a clown at different events for 19 of those years. Leslie Logan has served as she has so faithfully served in all the churches because I've known the Logans for, I don't know, 30 plus years. And I have seen them, I've seen Leslie serve faithfully wherever she is. But as long as they, the Logans have been at Grace Point for 15 years, she has been serving in the preschool. Jill and Jared Marley. Faithful as can be, rocks in our church that, that, that you can count on, whether it's in security or it's, it's in our preschool area, serving elementary school, serving Scott Miller, serving for 15 years back there punching slides. And he and I laugh about the slide punching. But I need people to do exactly what they're doing, working in the video area. Brian and Emily Moore have served throughout the church and the deacons in elementary school and preschool. The Mullins, let me tell you about the Mullin family. With their two daughters, while they were still in high school, were serving in the preschool area. You might not even know you might not even know the Mullins, but they're the ones who come in very quietly, go right back to their classroom and have been there for 12 years with their teenage daughters. Their teenage daughters have gone off to college, but when they would come back from college, would serve right there beside them and serve faithfully beside them. And now they are adulting and on their own and they're still serving with mom and dad. You talk about serving as a family together? You about setting a pattern and start setting trends in that, that, that next generation will take place? Do it with your kids and see what happens. When they just know that the norm of life is about giving of ourselves and serving because we love Rick and Jane Strack. Good night. Can't say enough about them. If you know them, they have been faithful in leading a small group for 12 years. Amy Sanders has led our day camp has been in elementary, one of our, our, one of our master teachers, along with Jacqueline Williams at the bottom there, one of our master teachers in our elementary for 10 years, uh, Jacqueline Williams. Cameron McGee has been at Grace Point and hit Laura at uh, Grace Point for nine years. And they served, or he served in our worship ministry a year before he was ever a member. Jacob Walker. I can't say enough about him because he keeps us going as a church. There's so many things that happen behind the scenes that Jacob Walker is helping to make happen. I'm calling these people out one by one because every one of them, I love and appreciate their service and their sacrifice and their commitment and their persevering. Would you please show them some love and appreciation for their faithfulness? Every one of them could be doing something else, could be taking a break, could be cashing in the chips. But here's what sacrificial love applies across all love relationships. Here's what sacrificial looks like. Giving up something I love for someone I love even more. Giving up my time on the trails, my time at the lake, my my money, my treasures, my talents. 
because I love somebody even more. And whenever you love somebody more than you love something, or maybe you do love that something, but you're going to make a commitment to love the somebody more, that's sacrificial love. Here's the third statement to complete this sentence. Is love sweetly served sacrificially? Sweetly. There's, a, there's an aroma about service. It's not a got to do it. It's not a duty. It's more of a delight. When you love something, you lose all track of time. When you love something, something matters because love serves. Why, why, why is that so, so real? It's because whenever you love it, you, just, you, you don't even keep track of the time. Vicki Thomas, 20 years serving in the three-year-old preschools. I talk to her every Sunday she's here. She's not in this room right now. She'll be in this room next hour because she's serving this hour. I talk to her every week. She comes up to me. She'll wait for me to talk to me. But here's the thing about Vicki. She has never once in 20 years said, man, I'm just tired. I've given too much. I'm tired. You know what Vicki Thomas says? She tells me about a kid that came up and hugged her, loved her, came up years later and gave her a hug. She's no bigger than the kids if you know Vicki. You know, so it's one of those things that I go, wow, Vicki, you could be saying, you know, I'm tired, I'm done, I'm, we need a break. No, no, no. She's saying, I'm all in. Here's a life principle for you. Now, again, whatever love relationship you're talking about, I love what I serve. What are you serving? Because you'll serve what I love. It won't be, it won't be an issue. And there's a biblical ba- basis for that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Back to Genesis chapter 29 real quickly. When you look here, you see chapter 29, verse 20. He said, for seven years he served Rachel and it seemed like only a few days. Time flew. He went fast. He, he lost all track of time. There was a sweetness about it. You don't have to talk me into the dessert, okay? I have no problem going for dessert. I never get tired of dessert. People are savory, some are sweets. I'm savory and a sweet guy. So I like them both. But you never have to talk me into it. Why? Because it's sweet. There's a sweetness in love. There's a sacrifice in love. And it's exactly what God calls us to in every area of every love relationship that we have. And even those that we don't call love relationships. Real quickly, bullet point these. Love your spouse. Love your spouse. The Bible says to love, husbands, love your wives. And I I can say this, wives, love your husbands. But there's there's this love relationship and what does it mean to love? And I can remember Lori has her love language. If you don't know about love language, just come talk to me afterwards. Um, She has her love language. I have my love language. And when we first got married, we were not bilingual. We were monolingual. And we were frustrated because we were speaking each other, we were speaking love languages, but we were speaking our love language to them, which wasn't their love language. So the, one of the ways you can sacrificially love is learn, become bilingual and love, learn to love your spouse in their love language. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That's, that's, that's what Jesus said. Love, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. And again, notice that each one of these has, a, has an element of service to it. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? We said this for months now. People you encounter on your way or that are in your way on your way. 
It could be the neighbor next door to you. It could be the neighbor at the gym. It could be the neighbor in the, in the, in the checkout line. It could be the neighbor that's in the parking lot, has a flat tire. It could be whoever God puts in your way, on your way through life. That's your neighbor. Love them. Love them as you love yourself. That means you're going to get down and take care of the basic needs of that person. I love it when Daryl Lobick was with me out climbing in the, in the Rockies last week or two weeks ago. And he was mountain biking. He's a big mountain biker. I mean, he loves the trails here. He eats and breathes and sleeps them. And then he's out there. He goes out a day early so he can ride in Durango, Colorado. He's out on the trails and he runs into a guy. I'm going to call him Steve because Steve may be in this room today. And he runs into Steve and Steve is in Durango, Colorado, but he's not from Northwest Arkansas. He's from Houston, but strikes up a conversation with him. Daryl and Steve are sitting there talking and, and they start talking about trails and they start talking about Bentonville, Arkansas. I mean, the biking capital of the world. And he says, I'm in Houston and my company said I can live wherever I want. In two weeks, I'm moving to Northwest Arkansas. Now, did, did Daryl know he had a neighbor? No, but God put him in the way on his way. And so all of a sudden now Daryl said, hey, when you come to Northwest Arkansas, we'll get on our trails. I'll show you our trails. And hey, by the way, do you have a church? No, I don't have a church. He says, come to my church. He starts loving his neighbor, not only physically, but he loves him spiritually. Who has God put in your life on the way, in your way, or in the way, on the way? Also, listen to this one, love your enemy. But notice what he said, not just love your enemy, do good to them. Notice that when you love something, you serve something. Love your enemy, serve them. There's a whole message in, I can unpack in that. I'll just leave it there. Do good to your enemy. Love your church. Where do you see this? Because Christ loved his church. How did he love his church? He loved his church to the point of giving up himself. Why does serving matter? Because love serves. You see in this example right here that Christ loved his church so much that he gave up himself. That's service. How do you love your church? How are you like Jesus loving your church? Find that place serving matters because love serves. There's, there's, uh, there's a multifaceted applications to this message today. Take any love relationship that you have. Apply this template to it. Do I serve? Because if you love it, you serve it. And if you're not serving it, you don't love it. Okay, just point blank. If you serve it, do you serve it sacrificially? I mean, are you willing to give up so that that person gets the best of you? Are you ready? I'll give you the leftovers, okay? I'll give you the end of my day, the end of my work week, the end of, the end of whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll save up. We'll do it then. No. Gets the best. Because you give up something you love for someone you love even more. And it is sweet. Is it a duty or delight to love? I hope you find this not only true in your relationships at home, but in your relationships with your church. Because when Christ loved, he served his church. There's six different buckets of ministries that are represented out in the gallery area. I challenge you to stop by, explore, but not just talk to the people, say, what's my next step? Where do I go from here? All this next week, we're going to be talking about serving that matters. You're going to have opportunities to deep dive as deep as you want with the people who are leading the ministries. I encourage you to love your church. 
like Christ loved his church. Father God, you're building our lives. You're working in our lives. You're you're turning things around, I pray. Lord, if we struggle with what love is, may we realize today and remember today what it says in 1 John, that God is love. So if we struggle with trying to find a good paradigm, a good role model for what love should be, may we just look to you, Jesus. May we just look to you. And would you build our life upon your love and who you are. And may we love others the way you loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?